Yo, what is going down? All my brothers from other mothers around the world, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to tune in and listen to the Grizz podcast, the wildest podcast for Christian men in the universe. You're wild, man. Wild. Yeah, this is like the fifth time I've tried to record this episode, and I keep getting interrupted. It's my wife, my dog barking at these delivery guys from Pottery Barn that are taking out some furniture that they delivered, the wrong furniture, bringing in the right furniture. It's crazy, man. Don't they know that the Grizz is trying to get it done? Nobody cares. Anyway, on this episode, we're going to talk about battling sexual temptation. Battling sexual temptation. As we jump back into our study of the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. It's been a while. This is part six in our study of the life of Joseph. And we're at the part in the story where he is sexually tempted day after day after day by his boss's wife. That's right. His boss's wife keeps propositioning him to get down and dirty, but Joseph responds like a real man should. There's some extremely powerful and practical lessons to learn from this part of the story that can help you in your battles with sexual temptation. Joseph is a manly man we should look to and learn from. So go grab your Bible, your journal, a pen, and a fresh cup of hot coffee. I got mine right here with me, as usual, as we rip into the meat of God's word. It is going to be so good. So here we go. Oh yeah, y'all know what time it is. You're listening to the Grizz Podcast. It's gonna be raw, it's gonna be real, and it's gonna be relevant. We're here to guide, encourage, and equip you to live the manly life that God is calling you to live. It's time for you to step up and man up. That's what God expects, and that's what this jacked up world desperately needs. Now, here's our host, Jason George. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Here we go. Got your Bible open. As I said, this is part six in our series on the life of Joseph, and here's a quick review of what we covered so far. We're in, let's see, Genesis chapter 39. And remember, Thus far in the story, a little bit of a review, what's gone down so far. We know that Joseph's brothers were jealous of him. They hated him. And one day they had enough and they literally conspired together to kill him. But the oldest brother, Reuben, convinced them not to do that. So instead, they threw him into a pit, threw him into a pit. The Bible specifically says that it was a pit without water in it possibly a deep well. That push or throw into the pit most likely caused severe injury to Joseph. Then later in the day, his brothers pull him up out of the pit that had no water in it and sold him to a caravan of Ishmaelite traders who happened to be passing by. And this is all part of God's sovereign plan unfolding. God's hand is in all of this. It's no coincidence here that at the right time, these Ishmaelite traders were going by. Remember, I told you that Joseph's brothers, when they sold him to the Ishmaelite traders, they sold him for 20 shekels of silver. That was the going rate of a handicapped slave. That's why I believe that Joseph was severely injured from being thrown into the pit without water in it, the Bible says. Then the Ishmaelites traveled with Joseph all the way to Egypt, and they sold Joseph as a slave to a man named Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Potiphar was a very wealthy and powerful man in Egypt. So Joseph is now living in a foreign land as a slave. He did nothing to deserve this. Doesn't matter. Guess what, guys? Life happens. That's how it goes sometimes. The hurricanes are going to come, as I've told you before in this series on Joseph. The hurricanes will come. They will rock you. 
So you got to ask yourself, what are you building your house, your life upon? What's your foundation? Are you building it upon the rock, Christ? Are you building upon uh, shifting sand, doing things your own way? If your life's foundation is upon the rock, Christ, which means you're living a life of faith and obedience to him, like Joseph was, then you're going to be able to endure the storms of life, the hurricanes of life. Even through all of this, the scripture says the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. Let's read it. Genesis chapter 39, and then I'll start breaking it down for all of us. Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From that time he that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessings of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. We'll stop right there. Dude, this is crazy, man. So the Lord is with Joseph. He becomes a successful man. Why was he successful? Because God was with him. God brought the success. The scripture also says that Potiphar could tell that the Lord was with Joseph and causing all that he did to succeed. Perhaps Joseph talked to Potiphar about his faith in the creator God. We just know that Potiphar could tell. He could tell. He could see, observe that God was with Joseph and blessing him. So because of that fact, Joseph found favor in the sight of Potiphar. And as a result, Potiphar hooked him up by making him overseer of his house and putting him in charge of all that he owned. Then check this out. The scripture says that from the moment Potiphar gave Joseph that job promotion, all of a sudden, everything in Potiphar's house began to prosper. Potiphar reaped blessings because he put Joseph in charge. That is so interesting and fascinating to me. Anyway, so things seem to be looking up for Joseph. Being a slave to Potiphar is not so bad after all because God is with him through all of it and God begins to bless him. Joseph is experiencing some success, some prosperity, a lot of privileges and benefits that other slaves don't. Blessings from God, man. And then guess what happens, guys? temptation hits. That's how it is, my brothers. The enemy will put his crosshairs upon the man whom God is using and blessing. Let me say it again. The enemy will put his crosshairs upon the man whom God is using and blessing. Listen to me, my brothers. Be careful. Be careful when God starts using and blessing you. Be careful when success comes to your life or ministry or business. Be careful when there's prosperity, when there's plenty of money in the bank account, when there's growth in your ministry, when there's more power, more fame, more status, more popularity, because that's when new types of temptation will come for you. That's when the enemy will try his best to derail you from experiencing all that God wants to do in and through you. And many times, the type of temptation that hits successful Christian men whom God is using is sexual temptation. 
I see it all the time. They get comfortable, cocky, arrogant, undisciplined, lazy, lukewarm. And it begins with small compromises. It always begins with small compromises. But a little compromise here and a little compromise there, you know what happens. It leads to a greater compromise. But Joseph, as we will see, was not your average mediocre Christian man. Joseph was a strong, godly man's man. Let's pick up the story, chapter 39, starting at verse 6. Notice that it says, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Let's stop right there for a minute. That tells us that Joseph was an attractive young man. He looked good. He was in shape. He was physically built from all the hard physical labor that he had to do. And guess what? The Egyptian females noticed this. And one of those Egyptian females who noticed this was his boss's wife. Crazy, right? In fact, the scripture says that she did much more than just notice. Look at your Bible. Notice that it says she, talking about Potiphar's wife, cast her eyes on Joseph. In other words, she didn't just see him and notice that he was a hottie patati and then bounce her eyes away and remind herself that she's a married woman. No, no. She cast her eyes on him. That means she looked, noticed that he was a hottie patati, and then she began to have lustful desires, fantasies for him. She began to imagine what could go down with her and him between the sheets. And then she began mentally planning what she was going to do to try to make that sinful act come to fruition. And that right there is the danger of going beyond simply noticing and appreciating someone who is physically attractive. We all notice and can appreciate someone who is physically attractive, but that's the danger of letting it turn into mentally lusting and fantasizing. That's the danger of mentally imagining what could go down, what your sinful flesh would like to go down. That's the danger of planning and orchestrating for sinful things to come to fruition. Listen to how the Apostle James says this process of sin plays out. This is so good, dude. This is exactly how it plays out. James chapter 1, verses 12 through 16 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial or temptation. God's going to bless that man. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. So what do we learn from that passage in James? Dude, a lot of things. First of all, we learn that everyone is tempted. Everyone is tempted. We all deal with it at various points throughout our lives in various ways. That's just part of fallen people and fallen bodies with fallen minds, living in a fallen world with fallen angels all around us who are constantly working to turn us away from God. Ephesians 6, 12, you know what I'm saying? So number one, everyone is tempted. Number two, temptation is not from God. God doesn't tempt us ever. God is good. God is holy. And he doesn't try to get us to do evil things. That would completely contradict his character. So when you're tempted, you can't blame God. Number three, we find that we are lured away into temptation because of us, because of our own inner desires and our sinful hearts. Let me explain this. Listen to me, my brothers. The temptation is not the sin. The desire to sin is not even the sin. The initial thought, idea of sin that enters your mind is not the sin. It's what you do with that temptation, that desire, that initial thought, idea. That's what determines if sin is conceived and birthed. But we do need to understand that sin always begins with an unrighteous desire in the heart. It always begins in the heart. That's where sin begins. And then it moves to the mind, the mental. And that is where the battle is won or lost, right there. The battle is always won or lost in the heart and the mind. That is why it is so 
crucial for us to saturate our minds with God's truth and to stop pumping in dirty, sexual, perverted junk into our minds through TV, music, movies, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, etc. Speaking of all that, this past Monday night, there was a brother and one of our CLIMB teams. CLIMB teams are our ministry's weekly men's groups that meet online via Zoom for support and accountability. Anyway, one of these brothers told all of us in the group that he's got over 120 days of sobriety from porn and sexual sins. It's awesome what God is doing in so many of these guys' lives. And he said that a big contributing factor was him getting rid of Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Twitter. There's a lot of tempting junk on those platforms. I won't use any of those social media apps anymore, except I'll get on those through the Covenant Eyes app, where I know I'm being monitored by my accountability partners who get a weekly report of everywhere I go online. Guys, you need to get Covenant Eyes installed on all of your devices. Lock them down in the restriction settings with a password that you don't know so that you can't remove the Covenant Eyes app or add those other apps. Go to CovenantEyes.com, CovenantEyes.com, and sign up. And when you're at checkout, use the promo code GRIZZIN, G-R-I-Z-Z-I-N, GRIZZIN, and you'll get your first month completely free. Anyway, this guy in the climb team also said that getting up early every morning and beginning his day in God's word was helping him win the battle throughout the day. That's what I'm talking about, guys. Guys, I'm telling you. No, actually, God is telling you. The battle with sin is won or lost in the mind. It's not the tempter on the outside that destroys. It's the traitor within us that destroys. The inner traitor within. He's the one who lets a temptation, a desire, a thought develop and birth into sin. The battle with sin is won or lost in the mind. That's where you have to fight. And stop it there before it conceives and gives birth to sin. Potiphar's wife, she didn't do that. She didn't care. She kept going with the temptation, the desire, the thought. She was determined to get what she wanted from Joseph. Listen to me, guys. There are dangerous women out there just like her. And some of them are within the church. Some of them may hold a leadership position in a church. Be very careful and keep your guard up, my brothers. There are certain types of women who will target a godly, successful man. They don't care if you're married and have kids. They don't care. I've seen it. I've seen a woman who was a Christian counselor lure away an evangelist from his wife and family. I've seen a woman who was a worship leader lure away a pastor of a church from his wife and family. I've seen a secretary at a church lure away a pastor. I'm sorry. Yeah, secretary at a church, lure away a pastor from his wife and family. And then, this is what I was going to say, I've also seen a Christian preschool director who was married to the head deacon of the church lure away a single young man who was a youth leader. And yes, I know it takes two to tango. Both the man and the woman involved are responsible for what went down. I get that. I'm just telling you guys to be careful. Keep your guard up. There are some dangerous women out there who will set their crosshairs on a godly, successful man. And some of those dangerous women are within the church. Again, I say both parties are responsible. Both of them. If you're into the TV series Yellowstone, you've seen this sort of scenario play out on season five with John Dutton's adopted son, Jamie, who was a lawyer and was trying to become governor of Montana. His father ultimately took that from him. They don't like each other. There's bad blood between them. So in this last season, a new character has come into the picture, and her name is Sarah Atwood. Oh boy. She is a corporate shark who's been hired to basically destroy the Dutton Yellowstone Ranch. And to accomplish that, she sets her crosshairs on John Dutton's adopted son, Jamie. She knows there's bad blood between them. 
Sarah Atwood is a gorgeous woman. She's got that look. She is a high-end seductress, and she's very good at what she does. She's incredibly educated. She is, I'm telling you, as subtle, crafty, and venomous as a rattlesnake in a chicken coop. Man, oh man, she knows what buttons to push. She uses flattery and sex to deceive and ruin Jamie. I watched all of this with my wife, and I just shook my head, man. It's a fictional TV show, but man, listen, that sort of thing has been going on since the fall of man. Sarah Atwood made me think of the dangerous woman described in Proverbs 7, where it says, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is cast, is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know it will cost him his life. My brothers, there are dangerous women out there who will set their crosshairs on a godly successful man. Dangerous women just like Potiphar's wife. Be aware. Be careful. Keep your guard up and get the heck away from them. All right. So think about it. A day finally came when I'm sure Potiphar's wife got all cleaned up, done up to where she was looking and smelling really good. Maybe she wore her sexiest Egyptian dress. I don't believe Potiphar's wife was an ugly woman. Remember, guys, Potiphar was a rich and powerful man in Egypt. And with that come certain types of women, gorgeous pagan women, who would not be interested in you if you were just some poor and insignificant man. So the day came when she actually walked over to Joseph while he was working, while he was overseeing her husband's home and land and servants. And she just comes right out and says it. There's no small talk. There's no flirting. She doesn't mince words. She's extremely direct. She basically says, I want you. Come have sex with me, Joseph. My husband's gone. He'll never know about this. Come have sex with me, Joseph. And that moment right there, I'm sure that many men would be flattered and extremely aroused by that kind of proposition from a gorgeous, powerful woman. It would stroke their ego and ignite the fire of sexual lust within them. And maybe, maybe Joseph felt a tinge of all of that. I don't know. I do know that he's human. I do know that he had hormones just like we do. I do know that he had a sex drive just like we do. I do know that he had a fallen nature just like we do. But I also know that he had God in his heart and his mind. I do know that he didn't let a tinge of sexual desire in his heart go to his head to the point where he would mentally cross the line into lustful fantasy for his boss's wife. He stopped it dead in its tracks in his heart and his mind. Again, back to what I said earlier that we learned from James chapter 1 about temptation. The battle is won or lost in the mind, my brothers. Joseph wouldn't mentally entertain it at all, period. Nope. He was like, I ain't going there. No way. Look at verse 8 in your Bible. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I got to grab a sip of my coffee. Wow. Just freaking wow. How uncommon is that response right there? How utterly rebellious to the cultural norms of most men. I love it. Guys, if you think Joseph had some sort of spiritual superpower over sin that you and I don't have, you're wrong. Couple things to think about with, uh, what he said right there to Potiphar's wife. Number one, first of all, notice that Joseph called sin, sin. 
How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He called sin, sin. Do you see it? That's not how it is in American society today. Heck, man, that's not how it is in many American churches today. You can't call sin, sin because it's offensive or insensitive or it's politically incorrect. People don't want to call sin what it is because they don't want it to sound bad. And they even want to make it desirable, normal, something to be proud of and celebrate. You know, things like fornication is called sleeping together or just hooking up. Mormons have adulterous affairs with multiple women and they call it having sister wives. Homosexuality is called an alternative lifestyle. Sexual immorality and gross perversions get labeled love. It's love. Love is love. Pedophiles now want to be labeled as MAP, M-A-P. I'm a minor attracted person. It's sick, man. It's wrong. It's deception. Joseph called sin, sin. And we as men, we must do the same. Not just the sin of others, but our own sin. Call it what it is. And then confess it and forsake it own it. Number two, second thing to notice from Joseph's words to Potiphar's wife is that he had perspective. He had perspective and he knew his reasons for not giving into sexual sin. What do I mean by perspective? I mean, Joseph could see beyond the moment. He saw beyond the bait. He saw the hook underneath the bait. He saw the big picture. He saw beyond a sexy body and an orgasm. He knew what was to follow. And he knew his reasons for not giving in to sexual sin. These reasons were already established in his mind. He thought of his boss, his job, his position, the trust he had earned, the blessings that had come with it. Joseph had considered all of this. He also thought of God. That was the biggest reason. He said, how can I do this against God? He knew God hates sin. This sexual encounter will dishonor God and hinder his blessings upon my life and through my life. Joseph had perspective, guys, and he knew his reasons for not giving in to sexual sin. Let me ask you, do you know your reasons for not giving in to sexual sin? You ever thought about it? What are your reasons? What's your motivation? You ever listed those out, written them out, typed them out? I do. I have. I have over 50 reasons typed out and saved. Every morning, I review at least 10 reasons why I need to stay the heck away from porn and other sexual sins. It's part of my morning routine. I start my day with a fresh shot of holy motivation to stay the heck away from porn and every other sexual sin. That's one of the first things I help guys with that I work with, you know, like as I help them establish uh, a recovery, a climbing plan. They need to know their why, their motivation. I make them come up with at least 30 reasons why they need to stay the heck away from porn and every other sexual sin. And then I help them begin establishing the morning habit of reviewing those reasons. I tell you what, it renews your mind. It does a Romans 12 too. It renews your mind. It changes your perspective on sexual temptation. Joseph had perspective and knew his reasons for not giving in to sexual sin with his boss's wife. Let me grab a sip of my coffee. (coughs) Joseph, obviously, had a mind focused on God and saturated with his truth. That gave him perspective on what was really going down. He saw far beyond a hot-looking woman in a brief moment of sexual gratification. He knew who protected and blessed him, who promoted him, who prospered him in Egypt, who looked out for his best interests, and he states that. First, he brings up his earthly master, Potiphar, who had promoted him and blessed him. I'm not going to do this to your husband, lady. He's my boss. Everything I got is because he gave it to me. How could I? 
Then he brings up God, who is ultimately behind all the good in his life. Because we know that ultimately, every good and perfect gift that comes down upon us comes from who? God, the Father of lights, James 1.17. It's so clear. So Joseph then says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What an incredible question to ask ourselves. I wonder if God the Father, in that moment, when Joseph, like, said that, just, like, jumped off his throne in heaven. You know what I'm saying? Like, just jumped and, like, slapped the back of Jesus and, like, yelled, like, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about right there. Did y'all see that? All you angels, all you saints here in heaven with me, did y'all see and hear my boy Joseph? That right there. That is all I've ever been looking and longing for from humanity. Choose me. Love me. Honor me. That's it right there. That's the type of man I'm going to raise up and bless. Joseph knows that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away anytime he wants to. God is God and we are not. Joseph had perspective. He had solid reasons as well to live pure. And he had faith in his God. And his faith in God is clearly seen by his response to his boss's wife. He doesn't do what she wants. He doesn't do what his sinful fleshly desires want. He does what God wants. His faith in God is clearly seen by his obedience. His faith has works. Remember, faith without works is a dead faith. Don't tell people you have faith in Christ and then go do whatever you want sexually. You know, Joseph doesn't just talk the talk of faith. He walks the walk of faith. Joseph had perspective. He had reasons and he had faith. And that is why he could overcome this sexual temptation. That's why when it came at him day after day after day from his hot looking boss's wife, he could overcome. It's powerful. It's just powerful. So motivating. Let's take a quick break and I'll be right back and we'll finish this up. In the book of James, that passage that I read earlier, God says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. James 1 verse 12. You know what that means, guys? It means that on the other side of temptation is a blessing to enjoy or there's a burden to bear. There's either a blessing to enjoy or a burden to bear. You decide. The battle is won or lost in your mind. You can win it with perspective, knowing your reasons and faith, just like Joseph did. I also want you guys to notice that this wasn't just a one-time sexual temptation that Joseph faced and overcame. Look at verse 10. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or be with her. Did you hear that? Day after day. Dude, she was relentless. Guys, if you think, if you think temptation will leave you alone once you've resisted it, man, you're, you're wrong, dude. You haven't been living on the planet long, man. In this fallen world with fallen people and fallen bodies, with fallen minds surrounded by fallen angels who are working to lure us away from God, temptation can keep coming at you day after day after day. You better learn how to put on the armor of God daily and be ready for battle. Potiphar's wife had her crosshairs on Joseph day after day after day, and she was determined to have sex with him. All that talk about his 
noble reasons for not wanting to have sex with her. I can't do this against my boss. I can't do this against your husband. I can't do this against my God. Dude, that didn't deter her at all. She didn't give a rip about any of that. She didn't care about her husband, her marriage vows, or the trusted relationship that her husband had with Joseph. She didn't care. All she cared about was satisfying her own sexual desires. And I believe the enemy is behind all of this. I do, man. I believe there's so much more going on than meets the eye, just like in the book of Job. I'm talking about Ephesians 6, 12, spiritual warfare type stuff. There's more going on than just Potiphar's wife wanting to satisfy herself. I believe she's a tool of the enemy. Let me tell you something that you may not realize yet. You need to write this down, file it away. The enemy targets godly men respected men, successful men, men whom God is using to fulfill his purposes in the world. The enemy has his crosshairs on you. You see, mediocre, lazy, lukewarm, half-hearted Christian men are no threat to his evil kingdom and agenda. So guess what? He leaves them alone. He knows they will just pretty much waste their lives with their half-hearted, comfortable brand of quote-unquote American Christianity. The enemy targets godly men, respected men, successful men, men whom God is using to fulfill his purposes in the world because they, those type of men, are a threat to his evil kingdom and agenda. Joseph was that type of man. And we got to ask ourselves, am I that type of man? Take a long look under the hood. Examine yourself. I hope you're striving and fighting to be that type of man. This jacked up world needs those type of men. They're a rare breed. They're an endangered species. But just know, if you are that type of man, you better keep your guard up. Because you will be in the enemy's crosshairs. He's coming for you. Like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 1 Peter 5.8 He wants to take you out. And he will no doubt try to use sexual temptation to do it. I want you to notice something else that's significant in verse 10. Look at it with me. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Notice the last part of that verse. He didn't just abstain from having sex with her. Notice that he wouldn't even go around her anymore. Once he realized that she was the source of sexual temptation, he intentionally separated himself from her. He didn't want to hear any more of her seductive propositions. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her or be in her presence. That's so incredibly wise. That's another great way to battle sexual temptation and when Joseph is a wise young man learn from him he tried his best to keep at the greatest distance that he could from the sexual temptation that Potiphar's wife was bringing he wasn't going near it he wasn't aka edging with it wasn't toying playing with it how close can I get to the sin without actually committing the sin? I wonder, like, I'm not going to go all in, but you know, I want to see how close I can get to like dancing on the edge of this cliff at the Grand Canyon. You freaking moron. Then one day, Potiphar's wife had enough of him rejecting her propositions and staying far away from her. She decided on this one day, she wasn't going to take no for an answer. Oh boy, enough was enough. Look back at your Bible with me, starting in verse 11. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me, have sex with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, 
He has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, to have sex with me. He tried to rape me. And I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I, I, I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and he fled out of the house. <gasps> then she laid up his garment uh, by her until his, ma- until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, Oh my gosh, this is so hard. He left his garment beside me and he fled. He fled, he got out of the house. Dude, this gets crazy on a whole new level of crazy. She physically grabbed at him. And how did Joseph respond? He got the heck out of there, man. He ran. He fled. He completely removed himself from the person in place of temptation. He didn't try to resist or talk his way out of temptation. He fled. That's biblical, guys. Listen to me. Not once in the New Testament does God ever tell us to resist sexual temptation. Not once. Never. He always tells us to flee sexual temptation, sin. Listen to these verses of scripture. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. 2 Timothy 2, 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Then in Proverbs, go back to the Old Testament even. Chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on in it. Turn away or flee from it and pass on. Listen, guys, really listen to me. I speak from experience in my own life and with a lot of guys I've worked with over the years. Don't test your willpower or your resistance when it comes to sexual temptation, sin. Just flee. Just get the heck out of there. Get away from it and get it away from you. Completely separate from it. Completely distance yourself from it. Do all you can to avoid it and prevent it from occurring. That's what God tells you to do. And that's exactly what Joseph did. And it worked. He won the battle. He was a very wise young man. You know, when I go pump gas in my truck, I don't take a lit match near the gas pump when I'm pumping gas and try with one hand to pump the gas, and with the other hand, try to resist bringing the lit match near any of the gas fumes. (laughs) Let me see how close I can get this lit match to the fumes without causing an explosion (laughs) while I'm pumping my gas. That's idiotic. A disaster is bound to happen. I would never do that. You would never do that. But so many guys do that with sexual temptation. They go near it. They count on their resistance power. And then they fall and they wonder why. Why am I so weak? Why was I not strong enough to resist and just say no? I don't understand. What's wrong with me? Why did God make me this way? This is all God's fault. Where? 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 God says flee from it. Period. You stay the, the, the heck away from it. Just do what God says and flee. Just get the heck out of there. Get away from it. Get it away from you. Completely separate from it. Completely distance yourself from it. Do all you can to avoid it and prevent it from occurring. That's what God tells you to do. That's what Joseph did and God blessed him for it. But first, he pays a price for doing the right thing. Let's continue on in the story, starting at verse 13. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her house and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me and cried with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. She's a liar. Then she laid up his garments by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story. She lied to him, too. It goes on, drop down to verse 19. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, 
This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him, Joseph, and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Oh, man. Let's wrap it up, guys. So Joseph did the right thing. He obeyed God. He flees from sexual temptation. And at first, he pays a hard price for it. That's how it goes sometimes. Sometimes you do the right thing and there's not an immediate, immediate blessing or reward. Sometimes you're going you're gonna to pay a price for it. It's going to cost you something. That's how it goes, man. I mean, picture the scene, guys. <laughs> this is crazy. She physically grabs him and tries to make him have sex with her. She's forcing herself upon him. He immediately runs away. And she's left standing there inside the house, rejected again. Dude, you better believe she was fuming. And her lust for him immediately turned to anger from the rejection, which led her to fabricate a story. A story to make herself look like the victim and to make Joseph look like the villain. She wanted to punish Joseph to try and completely ruin his life. Right after Joseph fled the house, she yelled for the other servants and she lied to them. She claimed that Joseph tried to rape her. Then when her husband came home, she lied to him too. She used a piece of circumstantial evidence to try and prove her fabricated story. She had the garment that Joseph left behind. Potiphar was furious, and he immediately had Joseph thrown into Pharaoh's prison. There was no trial by jury. There was no opportunity for Joseph to hire a defense attorney. It was done. While Potiphar said, that's how it was going to go. We'll stop there for now. Man, we've covered enough for this episode. We're going to rip into some more soon. All I will tell you is that God has an incredible redemptive plan in the works through all of this. But Joseph couldn't see it at the time. God hasn't left Joseph. It's just another test. That's how it goes on this narrow, difficult trail that we're climbing, my brothers. We aren't walking the easy, comfortable, and popular road that leads to destruction. This narrow trail is full of tests, opposition, disappointments, heartache, etc. But God remains faithful. He will never leave us nor forsake us. If we trust and obey him through all that we're going through, listen to me. In due time, in due time, he will work it all together for good. Man, that's the beautiful promise of Romans 8, 28. I believe with all my heart that when God had the Apostle Paul write the words of Romans 8, 28, I believe Paul was thinking of the story of Joseph. Because you just see it. All things work together for good. For Joseph. Why? Because he's a man who trusted and obeyed God through all of it. All of the unjust, unfair, undeserved crap he keeps doing a proverbs three five and six he trusts in the lord with all his heart he doesn't lean on his own understanding in all his ways he acknowledges god and what does god do god directs his steps man he'll do the same for you he will do the same for you stay tuned my brothers for a couple closing items of Grizz Biz.
A, number one, if you're enjoying the show and find it a real blessing in your life, then be a blessing back to our nonprofit ministry. This year, 2023, we need to increase our monthly supporters for the show. A small donation of $10 or $20 per month helps us do what we do to impact men around the world. It costs a lot of time, energy, and money to make this ministry happen. Go to narrowtrail.com, narrowtrail.com, and click on our Give page to set up an automatic monthly donation with your credit or debit card. I promise it's safe, it's secure, it's easy. You can cancel at any time. It is a tax write-off because we're a nonprofit, and we will always send you a record of your giving. There's a link in the show notes. Number two, I mentioned Covenant Eyes uh, earlier in the episode. I highly recommend um, having it on all of your devices and on your kids' devices. It is the best in internet accountability software. Go to covenanteyes.com, covenanteyes.com, sign up, and at checkout, use the promo code GRIZZIN, GRIZZIN, G-R-I-Z-Z-I-N, to get your first month completely free. There's a link in the show notes for that as well. Number three, if you need a good weekly online men's support accountability group to be part of, to help you in your fight for purity and spiritual growth, then check out the climb teams that I lead. Go to narrowtrail.com, click on the climb teams page. I'm telling you, they're amazing, dude. They're working. Guys are finding community, support, guidance, encouragement, and making real progress. Last thing, if you'd like to connect with me online, uh, there are links in the show notes for that. I would love to hear from you. I really enjoy hearing from our listeners, learning about you, hearing how you found out about the show, what the show's doing in your life, how it's helping you. And that's it, my brothers. Honor God, live manly, (laughs) and watch what happens. you see sometimes god's word hypnotize me grizzy 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 can't you see sometimes god's word hypnotize me yeah. yes uh. yes uh.